Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Our guest today, Joanna Oblander, was living what many would consider a blessed life, surrounded by a loving family and a close relationship with God. But by 2002, Joanna had reached the end of her emotional rope due to years of unquenchable unquenchable migraine headaches. Chapter one of her book, A Glimpse of Heaven, begins with these words. At day's end, I sat on my bed overcome with convulsive tears. My will to live had been obliterated. Mental imbalance caused by severe depression and a handful of negative encounters with less than emphatic, empathetic, rather, pill collectors had been the final victors on that summer day in 2002. Holding on to life had proven itself too hard. So, Joanna had decided to kill herself. A few paragraphs further, she writes, God has always been a crucial part of my life. Somehow, even in the depths of my gloomy battle, I knew that my creator had worked hard to help me. Not wanting to exclude him from the decision I had made, I crept out of bed to say my prayers one last time. Joanna, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too. And I think there's a, a, a wide audience out there that can really benefit from your story. Joanna, as I read in your book, God has always been a crucial part of your life. In fact, you've had several spiritually transformative experiences, what we call STEs. Uh, the most amazing being the combined vision you and your husband, Greg, had of meeting your future children. So let's begin with that happy event. Okay. So shortly after my husband and I were married, uh, one night we were about to say our prayers like we normally did. And at that time, I had lower back issues. And so quite often, I would just lay in bed for our prayers. And my husband told me, hey, let's I just feel like we need to get down beside our bed on our knees tonight. And I said, okay, no problem with that. And uh, as we began our prayers, both of us saw the same thing, but with our eyes closed. And uh, what we saw was four adult spirits um, or angels, whichever you would like to call them, at the end of our bed. And another um, spirit in the doorway of our bedroom, which was on the same side of the bedroom, but apart from the four who stood together. And as I saw them, um, I was amazed at the light and the aura that came from them and, and the strength that I perceived from them. And I didn't know who they were initially. They stood in my mind, as couples, initially, it was girl, boy, boy, girl. Uh, and at the no words were exchanged during that event. Um, but we both saw the same thing. And the 
the spirit that stood in our doorway was was male. And um, when it was all over, my husband and I just kind of looked at each other and didn't really know what to say to each other because we weren't aware yet that we had both seen the same thing. And my husband said, did you see what I just saw? And I said, I think so. Did you just see what I just saw? And I told him what I had seen at the four spirits at the end of our bed and the fifth at the doorway. And he says, do you know who they were? And I said, no, I I think maybe they were some grandparents or something because they seemed to stand in couples. And I said, but I didn't recognize them. And he said, well, I know who they are. Mm-hmm. And I said, who were they? And he said, those were our children. And as soon as he said that, this feeling just came over me. And I knew not only were they my children that we were going to have, but I knew that they were standing in the order that they were going to be born, that the female that stood to my to the left of the group was the first and that the two boys would come next and that the female that stood at the right-hand side of the group would be the youngest or the, the last to be born. And we both talked about the fifth uh, spirit that stood in the doorway. And, and I said, do you know who he was? And he goes, no. And I said, I don't know either. I said, I, I can, I wonder if he, they had to be escorted to us, if they had to, if someone had to bring them to us for us to see them. And he said, I don't know. I guess that could be. And from that point on, we never really knew um who that fifth spirit was until another STE later on. And was the name Andrew given to you in that later STE? Yes. In the later one, not, not when we initially saw our children. Yeah. And not to give anything away, but Andrew was uh, in utero in someone else's body at that point. Yes. Yes. Yeah. In, Russia. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think people will have to buy your book to get the entire story there. <laughs> we want to move on to the fact that we taught that we started with this story, though, Joanna, is to show how blessed and happy you were. And yet with the, ter- the terrible migraine headaches that came on later on and lasted for, what was it, 15 years, something like that altogether? Yes. In total, um, yes. Uh, it emphasizes how much uh, depression and pain can drive people, even people as blessed as you were, to the edge of despair. <clears throat> there are so many people in the world today that are where you were in 2002, so depressed they're ready to kill themselves, and they can benefit greatly, I think, from hearing what you learn from God. You explain in your book that in your depression, you weren't asking God for any favors. You were just letting him know before you fell asleep that you had made up your mind to kill yourself the following day. So tell us what happened to you that night. Without a doubt, that was the hardest day of my life. 
And so as the the day concluded, um, I had decided that my family would be better off without me. Uh, my depression was such that I was, in my mind at least, failing in my life and flailing both in my life. And I knew that it I was causing the lives of my family to have difficulties that they wouldn't otherwise have. So um, I had planned the next day that I would take my life and um, cried myself to sleep. And uh, during the night, a male spirit and, and what, who I call my angel, also my grandfather. I didn't know at the time that he was my grandfather because he did not, he was much younger and he kept his face turned away from me. Um, but he reached towards me. I was, I was aware that he was there. Um, and as he reached out his arm to me, I knew that he was asking me to take hold of his hand. And I did. And as I took hold of his hand, he pulled my spirit out of my body and took me with him through a conduit. And the conduit stretched between earth and wherever the location, I don't know if it was heaven or um, another planet. I don't, I don't know exactly where it was I was taken, but it was that realm in which we all were preparing to come to earth. And so um, as he pulled me through the conduit, he always kept ahead of me a little bit that I couldn't see his face or really see very much about him except for the back of, of him. And um, the, the travel was very quick and very effortless. Um, I didn't feel the sensation of travel, but I could tell we were moving. I could see stars and the heavens um, pass by. And then when we arrived at our destination, I could see a complex that was stretched out before me. And I was able to see through the walls of this complex and I could see all kinds of classrooms. And I recognized that I was in a place that I had been before. Uh, things were familiar to me. I, as I looked at some of the classrooms, I could see um, students and instructors, but without being told, I knew what subjects were being taught in some of those classrooms. I knew that I had been in some of them before, and I became... Uh, mesmerized, I guess, for lack of a better word, by what I was seeing and what I was seeing of, of that realm and the, the classrooms and what were taking place there. 
And I think what surprised me most about the classrooms is I knew we were being taught very carefully about what our experiences would be like um, on earth. And and, um, many of us were still making decisions on what kind of experiences we would have on earth. And as these classroom or these classes proceeded, I, I was amazed that what we were concerned about was not, was this a, uh, an experience I would like, or was this an experience that would bless me with great wealth or um, make me happy? Um, it wasn't, was this experience going to be like a vacation or, you know, just something just completely sublime. Instead, it was, would this experience help me be like God? Would it help me develop my ability to love? Would it help me to be a better individual? And so, um, as I watched that my angel had to get my attention and he stretched forth his hand and showed me that I needed to look at this other room. And I looked at the room and there was just one male individual in that room. And I immediately recognized him and I knew I was seeing God. And I, again, was amazed at how familiar I was with him and his form. And it was like seeing someone very close to me um, from a, a relatively short distance away. And as I watched him, I saw that he was looking at a the doorway or at, towards the door of that room and that he could see through the walls of that room as well. And I looked on the other side of that doorway and I c- could see that two individuals were approaching the door. And as I looked towards those two individuals, I recognized them as well. And it was myself and my now husband, Greg. And as I looked towards them, it was like the veil over my memory was completely removed. And I was able to remember everything about my existence there, everything about my existence before this life on earth. And it was amazing. It was amazing to see who I was. I was shown numerous, numerous individuals, and I was overcome with the elation and the joy and the love that was a part of that existence. And I saw how no matter who we were, 
And we were all very much individuals, but no matter who we were, we honored each other and we applauded each other and we supported each other in our endeavors to improve our talents, to develop our gifts, to be um, to be more, um, you know, in our in our process of growth. And um, I saw many things that were amazing. And um, as I mentioned in my book, I was in awe of who I really was because who I really was there and who I truly am was not the person I perceived myself to be here on earth. And uh, I won't go into a lot more detail. In fact, a lot of the details of that part of my experience have now been um, blocked from my memory. But uh, my angel then directed me back towards the room where God was waiting for us to come to the door. And as we approached the door and he opened it and greeted us, I viewed the experience beside my angel, but then I also began to experience the meeting as it had occurred when I experienced it in this, in that realm. And uh, God took me in his arms and gave me a amazing hug and welcomed me and thanked me for, for coming and he gave Greg a hug, and then he motioned for us to um, towards the two chairs that were in the room, and there was only two high back chairs. And uh, he motioned for me to sit down in one of the chairs, and then he sat down in the other chair, and Greg stood behind me, and. Uh, I don't know if there was verbal communication with our mouths there, but there definitely was communication on the same level of understanding. And uh, I knew somehow that Greg knew the purpose of that meeting, that he had already been a part of some sort of knowledge concerning what was going to be asked of me. And so God began to talk to me and he explained that he had a special assignment for me and that it would be very difficult. And um, it was going to be my choice as everything was there in that realm. Every Our ability to choose was always a vital part of that realm, just like it is here. And so he then motioned for me to look back through the conduit that my angel had escorted me through. And I was able to see my entire life as it, as it would transpire. Um, 
if I accepted the assignment, but I also knew that what I was seeing was conditional, that everything that I saw of my life was dependent on my choosing to utilize God's help in in my life and his guidance. And so as I was shown my life, um, there was something there that um, was difficult enough <laughs> that despite the the confidence and the love and the um, the overall feeling that was present there in that realm, and especially with God right there beside me, I had some hesitations. I was really concerned that I might fail God, and I did not want to fail him in any way. I And I was concerned, and he knew that I was concerned, and he assured me. He said, as long as you remember me, you will succeed. And he repeated that a few times, and he said, I wouldn't. I would never ask you to do something that I believe you would fail at. He said, as long as you remember me, you will succeed. And I accepted the assignment because I knew that he could not and would not lie to me, that um, he knew me perfectly. He knew me better than I knew myself. He was completely and utterly perfect and all-knowing. And um, so as I concluded that meeting by um, accepting his assignment, he nodded his head and he had been holding my hands the whole time. And he, he said, thank you. You have made the right decision. And at that point, I was returned to my body. In your book, you say, uh, being allowed to know my strengths and abilities again was the most wonderful reunion I have ever experienced. And the reunion was with the real me. In place of my mortal doubts and fears was a powerful and peaceful assurance of the immensity of my capabilities. So if we feel that way when we're given these assignments, and I think we're all given assignments to fulfill. I think so too. It's it's in the it's one we're aware of our full capacity of our of our powerful abilities, but once we come to Earth, the veil is uh, <laughs> has obscured our understanding <laughs> of ourselves. Talk a little about that veil. You were very conscious of that, weren't you? I was, um, you know, I've always believed that there is a veil and that there is what I refer to as a pre-existence that prepared us for this world. I've always believed that. Mm-hmm. And I've, because I've been a spiritual person and I've had some spiritual experiences and I had before that my near-death experience, I kind of assumed that that veil or that block, if you will, over our memories of that existence was 
semi-transparent that we could kind of see glimpses or get glimpses of um, those feelings or, or that existence. And after seeing God, after seeing who I was, after seeing all of us, I really felt like the veil was more like armored steel, um, a, a very thick, like, bank vault that surrounded us or our memories because um, so much of what I had known, I had no idea in this sphere of existence um, that I knew and that I was familiar with. And I, I do think that light is able to touch us and intelligence and, and the truth from that realm is definitely revealed to us, but those memories, I think, are very well guarded. Now, in your case, there were two high back chairs in the meeting with God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you suppose that in some uh, other situations, it's only one? In other words, <laughs> do we come to Earth in pairs, or do we come uh, singly and and? Uh, hopefully wind up as a pair if, if that's what we want to do. <laughs> are you saying, are we all um, matched to somebody? <laughs> <laughs> well, because uh, because of, the, of the, your shared vision of, of your children-to-be that we mm-hmm. talked about in the beginning, it seems like you were perfectly matched with Greg. Well, I think I was perfectly matched, and I don't really know the answer to that question. I know that when I saw Greg and myself, I knew that it had already been planned um, before that meeting that we were going to be together here in this world. I suspect that there's many situations that that is the case. I just can't say for certain that that's always the case. Mm-hmm. I suspect it might be um dependent on the missions that we have Hmm. that we're meant to fulfill in this life. But again, that's my supposition, not anything I know for certain, but for Greg and I, I do know that we were meant to be together. And it sounds like you'd been together uh, before you were born, before he was born. Yes. Yes. We were for eons. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. But not necessarily in um, in a reincarnated way. It was no, more I don't a, think so. In the in the um, in the heavens itself. Yeah. Uh, you had other relationships. You said you saw a lot of people that you knew when you were there. I saw a lot of people there, um, and I interact, and I show was shown my interactions, but. Um, if it was revealed to me during that time who they were and how I knew them, I don't any longer have memory of, of who they were or how I knew them. I don't know if perhaps they were some of my children, if they were family members, close friends or what. But I know that our, our relationships and support of each other in that realm was very close and very very tight-knit, for lack of a better word to explain. Hmm. 
and the training that you saw at first uh, that you witnessed once you came through the through the the tunnel basically mm -hmm. was a uh, preparation for life on earth uh right. do you suppose there's uh, other preparations for other lives and other places in the universe i i think that there are other planets where similar situations are taking place like what is happening in this world um i do believe that once we move beyond this world that we continue to learn and to grow um i, I don't really personally believe that there will be other lives i believe it's all a part of the same existence but different phases of those exist of that existence and the training that that we go through if we can't remember the training is it supposed to influence our our soul or is it supposed to be part of our subconscious how do you how do you see that being of value once we're here i think that there's a part of us that retains the preparation that we received i think it then can be assisted and is assisted as we seek divine assistance from this world i think that you know unquestionably we all have really difficult moments we have experiences that that challenge us to the core um and i think all of us can look at those experiences in retrospect and see that i don't know how i got through that experience and and realize that we had strength we didn't know we had and i hope that most of us recognize that we had assistance we didn't even know was being given to us so the hardships that drive people to want to kill themselves are those choices that we made ahead of time to experience did you choose those migraines that you've that you had to suffer i don't know if i chose those migraines but i won't be surprised if i did um i don't know i i don't have a memory um as far as what experiences i chose to have in this world but i suspect that that was one of them that i did choose to have um i think that we do choose a lot of those experiences i think just like it as it was when i was shown my life as it would transpire i think if we um rebel isn't really the word i want to use but if we turn away from god's help if we refuse to use his assistance and um and and maybe even don't acknowledge the truth that is within us i think we can end up in situations that we didn't choose prior to this life and that we have to contend with but i also think that many of the difficult experiences we have were a result of our choices in your book's description you 
at the point of despair, you said, um, basically, God, do with me what you will, but hell couldn't be any worse than what I'm going through here. Do you think, first of all, do you believe there's a hell, having made your visit over there? And secondly, um, is it something that would be self-inflicted by a person killing themselves? I think it depends on the situation. I do think that there is a hell of sorts, but I don't I don't believe it's the kind of hell that I hear taught about. I think that the kind of hell that we can end up choosing, but it's it would be um under the most severest of situations, like deliberately um, choosing to walk away from God when we have known God intimately. Um, I feel like that what that hell would be is to be separated from God. In that realm, um, if if any and all of us could even know or have one minute of my experience of being reunited with God, you would never, ever want to do anything that would not allow you to return to him, to be back in his presence. And so... From that st- standpoint, I think that it can occur, but I think that in most situations, because God knows us perfectly, because he is merciful, um, I do feel like we're held accountable for our choices, but I also believe that we are given chances to to overcome those situations that we've created. Um, I, I believe that, um, that we were all sent here to succeed and we were all sent here with a personal mission to accomplish. And there's a lot of situations, a lot of lives here upon this earth that don't recognize that, that don't realize that. And I think, um, sometimes refuse to believe that, but when they open their hearts just that little tiny bit and let God's love reach them, then I think that not only can they come to know that, but they can feel it. In your book, you say eternal truth and God's love dominated that realm, but you also mention uh, the fact you were aware that there had been battles in that realm as well. So tell us a little about that. Well, um, a lot of the details of what I saw of that have been blocked from my memory, but what I do remember was watching great debates. And um, I saw that Satan was there. Uh, Satan is one of God's children um, who did rebel against God. Um, To this day, I don't understand how he could have, 
because having been back to that realm, I don't know what possibly could have um, given him the feelings that he would want to rebel against our father. But he was, um, he had proposed um, a plan for this earth life that would have guaranteed our success as far as, you know, we would have all succeeded, but none of us would have been given any choices. And so essentially, all of our growth would have been stymied. We, we would not have been, we would have come to this earth, but we would have never been able to truly grow. And so that those debates were arguing for, for our difficult experiences, if you will, in it, for our ability to learn and to grow and to become more than what we currently were. And they were, um, they were substantial debates, but um, other than that, um, I don't have a clear recollection of everything that was said or that I saw. If those debates were about individuals' lives, it would sound so much like the book of Job. Mm-hmm. You know, God is there saying, look at my servant Job, what, how wonderful he is. And Satan says, yeah, but you haven't really tested him. Do this to him. See how he, how he folds. Do that to him. See how he folds. And so Job is tested and he comes through for God. But uh, that's, that's what, <laughs> you know, I, I always took that to be a, a, a metaphor, but it sounds like it may actually be going on. I think it is. I think we're all being tested, um, but in a way that is not meant like a, a book exam, but more like a, will you allow yourself to grow? Will you use my help to grow? You said something uh, to the effect that um, we're here on earth to learn how to be more perfect or more godlike or mm -hmm. more, not more godlike, but more like God. Mm -hmm. How, uh, what are the chances <laughs> when you see, when you've felt God's love, how are we uh, ever going to reach that capacity, at least here on earth? Well, I don't think any of us are going to to be um, satisfied with the growth we obtain here in this world, at least not while we're here. I think once we die and, and uh, return to that existence that we've come from, I think we'll have a better appreciation for what we've done here, but more especially, I think that when we recognize that we all have a personal mission and that those personal missions are 
vital to this world, you know, and, and um, I think a lot of people assume that a personal mission means we all need to be world famous or we all need to be uh, a successful businessman or a successful, you know, fill in the blank. Some of the most critical things we can do is serve each other and teach each other and share with each other and love each other and and help each other um, along this path that we call life. When you were writing about the classroom you witnessed, you wrote, uh, nobody was worried about whether they would be rich or famous, beautiful or handsome, tall or short. We did not even worry about whether we would be healthy or well. Instead, decisions were being made based on which experiences would help us become perfect, like Heavenly Father. Yeah. So, um, in the long run, do you, uh, and this is not anything that we <laughs> we talked about, but in the long run, what do you see um, Earth as becoming if we all eventually wind up on the other side? Is this a, a planet doomed to collapse in the in the long run, or is this a place where we could uh, ultimately come to live and save uh, environmentally? Um, I don't really know what will ultimately become of this world. I know that it has a a divine purpose, and I know that ultimately, as we rely on God. Um, that we will accomplish what we need to accomplish. And I, because this world is, is his creation, I guess I feel com comfortable or confident that this world will be and will become whatever God needs it to be. Thanks. That's a good answer. <laughs> hey, listen, we, we started with a bit of a teaser about how you, came to encounter Andrew, and we have a little time left. Could you tell us about that? Well, um, yes, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the four children that my husband and I saw together um, started our started joining our family soon after that experience. Um, that experience was shortly after my husband and I were married, and our oldest daughter uh, was born two weeks after our first wedding anniversary. So that didn't take much time. Yeah. And uh, they were all born within about six and a half years of each other. Wow. And uh, in 1992, I was at a big conference for my church that provided classes on all kinds of things from um, music to art to different kinds of hobbies, uh, you name it. And, and a lot of it was inspirational content as well. And uh, I was on the campus at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. 
and walking towards uh, the Marriott Center there, um, where I was going to join a friend of mine for uh, an inspirational um, presentation there. And as I was walking, a voice spoke to me, divine voice spoke to me. And it told me, you have a son and you must find him. And I was, I was shaken to my very core. I knew that it, I had just been given divine instruction. And I immediately knew that that male spirit that had stood in the doorway was this son that I was to find. My, I, I don't know if I ever made it to the Marriott Center. I was so shaken and my thoughts were so jumbled um, after that, that all I know or all I can tell you is that somehow uh, later I ended up back at the dorm that I was staying in and called my husband uh, shared with him what had happened. Um, thank goodness that the um, what I called the spirits able to talk to our hearts, and my husband knew too that I had been told to find our son. And at that point, I had started having those. I had begun that fifteen years of migraines I was going to have. And uh, they were 24-7. Um, I was never without a migraine. And I didn't know a lot about adoption at that point. But I, both of us were concerned that those headaches might um, present an obstacle for us in adopting a child, especially since we already had four children of our own. So we decided that I would seek some treatment for those headaches, you know, really concentrate on trying to resolve those headaches. And uh, just a few months later, my husband and I met some friends of ours at the LDS temple in Idaho Falls, Idaho. And as I was moving to uh, enter a room in that temple, the same voice spoke to me again. And he said, you have a son and you must find him. His name is Andrew. He is in Romania and you must teach him his heritage. And once again, I was shaken to the very core, barely aware of my surroundings. Um, and up to that point, he had been this baby I thought I was going to get. And um, I was excited for that. I love babies and I looked forward to having a baby again in my home. Uh, but I didn't feel the attachment to him yet that I had to my four children that I had given birth to. And so as I went to the next room in the temple, 
I approached my husband. I was about to tell him what had happened. And it felt as though the top of my head was opened. And the love of this child was poured into me. And it filled my body. And from that moment forward, he was mine. He was as much mine as any of my four children that I had given birth to. And I became a mom on a mission. (laughs) I was determined to get that boy because I needed him back. It felt like he had been removed from me because I had such feelings of attachment and love for him. And uh, as I began searching for him, I made contacts that in Romania, met a man who agreed to search for him. It was about that time that, or just after that, that uh, the, the iron wall had fallen prior to that experience. And so I was, they were beginning to air stories on shows like 2020 and 60 Minutes about the Romanian orphanages and how babies weren't cared for, that they were lying in these cribs and not responding. And I could barely handle the thought that my son could be one of those babies lying in an orphanage. And about a year and a half into my search, I was blessed with the dream. And I was told that a little girl was with him by the name of Diana, that she was four years old and that she was with him and loved him very much and took good care of him. And uh, I was shown some other things in the dream as well that assisted my, my search and probably not coincidentally at during that dream, I was told that I was to write a book, but The most important part of that dream for me was knowing that Diana was with him and knowing that wherever he was, a four-year-old little girl would be wonderful company for him and that she would be able to give him a lot of attention And I was grateful that she loved him, to know that she loved him. And it wasn't the solution I had imagined or prayed for whatsoever, but I felt like it was an amazingly divine solution to to my concerns. And it took a while. (laughs) It took six and a half years of searching before we found him. um, And we knew from the time I had the dream that if Diana was available, that we would want her to, that we would include her, that we would attempt to adopt her 
and to keep them together. When we found them, Andrew was just four years old and Dina was nine and they were siblings. And we were able to, um, to adopt both of them and bring them into our family. Wow. What an incredible blessing. You write in your book, I believe that somewhere deep inside each of us, we innately know divine truth that has never been taught to our conscious minds. How can that recognition be passed on to those who themselves might be contemplating suicide? I don't know that I have the complete answer there, but I would tell anybody that is contemplating suicide to hang in there, to hang on, to reach out to resources that are out there, realizing even that those resources are not always perfect. But if they can reach out to someone that they know loves them, um, if they can reach out to a perfect stranger. And what I'm thinking in in that form is, you know, maybe that's a therapist, maybe that's a pastor, a, um, a, a religious person, maybe it's um, a suicide hotline, whatever it is, do it. Mm-hmm. And know that you are worth saving. You are precious. No matter what mistakes a person has made, no matter what difficulties you have encountered, some of those you might have chosen, some of those you might have brought upon yourself, some of them you might have experienced because of others. But healing can happen and does happen It never happens instantaneously or not very often anyway, but God is there and ask for him not only to help you, but to surround you with his angels because he will. And I know because sometimes even after my near-death experience, it felt like I was holding on with just the skin of the fingertips of my fingers barely there, but I knew, I knew I had to hold on and I knew I needed to hold on. And it wasn't easy. When I returned to my body, I was still in pain and I still had the headaches and I still had the difficulties that were present in my life when I left my body, but it happens and it will happen for you if you're willing to hold in there and hold on. Joanna, thank you so much for this. My thanks to Joanna Oblander for sharing the story of her near-death experience, the wisdom she gained from her NDE and from her spiritually transformative experiences. Joanna, tell the listeners how they can find your, your book, A Glimpse of Heaven. You, there's multiple ways they can get a hold of my book. They can go to glimpseofheavenbook.com. They can go to joannaoblander.com. They can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, 
other book websites. So any of those sites will get them there. All right. Is there other information about you on, on your website? There is a little bit of information there. Um, more about, you know, my family, um, myself and that sort of thing. Mm. And I'm also working on a series of children's books that I hope to be publishing within the first book. I hope to be publishing within the next couple of months, which shares with um, families and children the fact that when our loved ones pass on and are in that other realm with God once again, that they are very much present and aware of us and that they assist us frequently, that they are aware of us and actually, I think, are often our guardian angels. And I I don't believe necessarily that we have one guardian angel. I think we have a whole gang of them. And mm-hmm. I think they're just there and helping us more than we know and helping us, especially when we ask for their help. Like the grandfather that took you on your amazing journey. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Joanna. You're welcome. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 480 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the past shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. Be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.